G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Well, just great to have you along with us. It is the Wednesday edition of 2020 and a controversial topic of conversation ahead of us this hour. I hope you can be a part of it because we're opening our talkback lines for your input into what is a very controversial topic. You might be aware as you read the Bible that Jesus drank wine. He was called a wine-bibber and made wine miraculously for the wedding at Cana and the guests at the wedding were by uh, most people's perspectives already drunk. So what do we think about alcohol today in the 21st century? I wonder whether you'd like to participate in our conversation. Our conversation this hour revolving around a topic that I know you'll be interested in. You will have a perspective one way or the other, and we'd like to hear from you today. Are sipping saints on a slippery slope? Let me just say that again. Are sipping saints on a slippery slope? Uh, we'll get your input and open our talkback lines on 1-800-316-316. We have a special guest with us this hour, John Gagliardi, back with us today. These days, John is the Director of Development at the Haggai Institute Australia. This is an organisation, we'll talk about it a little through the hour as well, raising up Christian leaders around the world. And John has this uh, development role here in Australia. We'll talk a little bit about that. But John is also... Uh, founder of the Australian Christian Lobby. Now, that goes back a few years, but it is one of those uh, notches, I guess, against his career highlights. Uh, He's also a former high-flying company director, a former chief of staff at Channel 9 News in Brisbane. He was the editor-in-chief of the Townsville Bulletin, uh, working for Rupert Murdoch in the north of Queensland, and also uh, at one time was a media advisor to former Prime Minister John Gorton. Well, one of the things that John also has in his story, and we'll hear a little bit about that, is that John once was an alcoholic, and so has some perspectives when it comes to alcohol, when it comes to what happens in uh, someone's personal life, Uh, what happens in your corporate career in the marketplace. And uh, we'll be able to glean some insights today, but inviting your input into our conversation on 1-800-316-316. John Gagliardi, welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. I think we're going to have a lot of fun and probably prod some sacred cows this afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) These sacred cows, this is interesting because uh, I've said in the past hour or so that we'll be talking heart to heart on this topic Mm. because in some sense there are no right and wrong answers if you want to be 
you know, if you want to be spot on when it comes to your study of the scriptures. Although there might be some listeners who might like to disagree with that, and so they'll be welcome to have their input as well. But let's start not with getting what's right and wrong and black and white, but let's start with hearing a bit of your story, John, because you had a significant issue with alcohol in your younger years. Yeah, I did, Neil. Um, I mean, let's just say up front that um, you know I read the Bible routinely. I read it through three times a year, and um, through that reading, I can't see anywhere in the Word where drinking, moderate drinking, is a sin. But for a lot of people, it's it's a risk. It's a big risk. Somebody once said it's like Russian roulette. Once you spin the the cylinder in the the the, the gun, um, you just never know which which one's going to actually. Hit you, <laughs> and, hit me. And, and this is so interesting because if we talked about uh, drinking alcohol as a sin, uh, perhaps it's a sin for some and and not a sin for others. And maybe there's this, you know, this is what makes it very controversial because uh, some can handle the alcohol better and uh, not have those apparent symptoms of an alcoholic, and and uh, for others it, uh, it takes them off the deep end. Absolutely, I mean. I, I was a journalist, as you mentioned, <clears throat> and uh, 30, 40 years ago when I was a journalist, it was almost compulsory to be a drunk. I mean, that's what we did. That's the, the <laughs> I'm exaggerating, of course. <laughs> I think you're pretty right. But, you know, that's you, you went and you drank with your contacts, and then I went from journalism into public relations and lobbying, and it's one of the few jobs where you basically get paid to drink with contacts and drink with the media. And, and I think for me, a number of things had to come together before that became a problem for me. I mean, interestingly enough, I grew up as a teetotaler in a teetotal household because my grandfather had been an alcoholic. So I knew about it. It wasn't like I didn't know about what, what alcohol could do. In fact, my grandfather was one of the founders of AA in Brisbane. So I, I understood all that. And it wasn't really until I didn't really have an issue with it. And uh, the, my first newspaper I worked in was the Brisbane Telegraph, now defunct. And I think everybody I worked with was, was a functioning alcoholic at varying degrees. I mean, I mean that quite literally. I don't know anybody that wasn't a huge heavy drinker. But I didn't drink then, and it wasn't until I got to Channel 9, and uh, I'd been political reporter, and then they promoted me to chief of staff. And I, uh, again, I, I, I just didn't drink. And then no, for no particular reason, I remember one afternoon my, my news editor, whose name I won't mention, asked me to join him at the regatta, where he spent a lot of his life the old Regatta Hotel, mm-hmm. which is where a lot of the TV journos ended up. And um, so I, I just went along, and without really thinking twice, he said, look, have a you know, have a scotch. And I said, well, okay, I've never had a, a scotch, but sure, I remember I had a scotch and ginger ale. And, you know, it's interesting because I drank that, that, that drink, and for me it almost felt like the world clicked into place. I mean, I had grown up a very shy person. I mean, given that I've been... <laughs> My life's been journalism and uh, media and a lot of public speaking. That wasn't my, my, my innate personality. And I think I always had this uncomfortable feeling that I didn't quite fit. And um, I remember thinking, it, it, well, the way I put it is, it just felt my world clicked, and this is how you should feel. I just suddenly felt relaxed. Now, the truth is, you know, alcohol can't do anything to you unless it does something for you. And I think most people, it wouldn't be that big a deal. Have a drink, yep, okay. For me, I fixated on that. I thought, wow, that made me feel a lot better. I wonder what two might might do. 
That's the danger. The danger in having another drink. And this is really so much a part of our Australian culture, isn't it? Because mm. uh, for a lot of uh, sections of Australian society, uh, it's just not a questioned thing at all. It's just you have a drink. Uh, you have friends over, you drink. Uh, you have a barbecue. It's revolving around drinking. And, of course, then for young people, uh, that extends into, uh, you know, the binge drinking culture that, that exactly. perhaps we have uh, in some sections of Australian society as well. Uh, so th- it's just an acceptable thing across Australia to have a drink. Absolutely. Well, I felt very much on the outer as a journalist and being a teetotaler. But, of course, for me, it was that. It was that if one does, a, if one does it today... Tomorrow, two does it, and in, in, in a month's time, you know, it's, it's half a dozen will have to do it. And that's the danger of alcohol because you very quickly become accustomed to the effect and, and you've got to keep drinking more to get that, that same effect. But r- right there is the red light for anybody who's listening. If you drink and it does so much for you, you need it, that it makes your world right that it relaxes you. You need that before you can really relate to people. And there are a lot of people like that. I Um, suspect most alcoholics, or as you mentioned, an interesting terminology, functional alcoholics. mm -hmm. Uh, I was saying to you just off air, uh, there are people in the community who we call respectable alcoholics. Uh, There there is a sense, isn't there, in which uh, if you are a functioning alcoholic, uh, there is a sense of denial uh, that you may actually be a functioning alcoholic because you simply say that I just drink socially. Well, yes, and I think for me, I became extremely successful. You know, I became a very, a very successful journalist. And I was 22 when I was chief of staff of Channel 9 News. <clears throat> and then I went into, into public relations and very quickly had a, major, a couple of very major clients. I think we worked for the Liberal Party, and that was when I, I, I was an advisor to John Gorton and um, had major clients like TAA in those days, that's now Qantas. So moving in you know, it's a fairly exalted areas and for a long time my drinking was what you would call social. I had the odd time when I'd go over the top but so did everybody but there's always that thing for me that it was a lot more than just a social lubricant. For me it, 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 it filled that space. I always felt that in me there was this deep hole that was empty. I always felt I didn't quite fit. You know I came from a fairly like I said last time a working class background and I was the first member of my family to even go to university. So I think there's always that sense of low self-esteem, that, that, that hole. You know, the, the, a, somebody once said, nature abhors a vacuum. If you've got a vacuum, then something's going to fill it. And I fill it with the wrong spirit. I mean, we talk now about the Holy Spirit. I filled it with the wrong spirit. And for a long time, it did a lot for me. It really did. And it made me, I think, in some ways, a very, very successful lobbyist. I mean, I did Jupiter's Casino and I did a number of very, you know, Vertigan Dam, very major projects. And I became a different personality. I became quite ruthless and quite aggressive, which is not my native personality. A lot of that was just fueled on booze. But I continued to function. I mean, I was a suit-wearing, respectable person. Uh, you know, I'd advise a prime minister. I'd sit in a board meeting. And yet I was drinking. At the, at, at the worst, I was drinking a bottle of gin a day. Mm. And that's that's a fair tipple. <laughs> that is a fair tipple. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. If you'd like to join into our conversation today, we're talking about alcohol and the Christian. 
uh, asking that question, are sipping saints on a slippery slope? Are sipping saints on a slippery slope? You might like to offer your own perspective uh, when it comes to alcohol, and you might be arguing one way or another. It's interesting, John, that in the corporate world, and this still happens today, that when you're trying to close a deal, oftentimes alcohol is part of the priming of the way that the deal will actually come about. And so it has a an important role to play in the business community. And uh, if you're a Christian and you're in the business community and you take an alternative view, are you on the outer if, if, mm. that, if that's you? Exactly. And then some people even go to the extent where they say they don't trust somebody who doesn't drink because you're being cautious and, and maybe you don't relate to the, the mainstream. So it's definitely a difficult issue. And... Um, and really, for me, I cope. I mean, I guess I was just a social drinker for a lot of years. It wasn't really a major problem. But then, over a period of maybe three or four years, especially in the last two years, it just escalated. And that was when I got to my bottle a day, which, you know, by any definition, that's alcoholic drinking. And yet, you wouldn't know it during the day. You know, I, I kept, I was able to stay on the straight and narrow. And I, I mixed with people who were the same. I mixed with people, you know, one, I won't say his name, but he was one of the very early, very well-known newsreaders at Channel 9. And he could drink all day. And <laughs> I remember doing that, drinking with him. And uh, I'd go home and I was almost too drunk to watch the television. He'd go up to Mount Cuther and read the news like he... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the truth is he couldn't yeah. do it if he wasn't drunk. Mm. And that's the danger. You, you become so habituated to having that, that in your bloodstream that, of course, then if you stop... That's when you get into trouble. 1-800-316-316, and we'll take some calls in just a few moments. But before we take any calls, John, I'd love to be able to hear the connection here between your realisation that you had a problem with alcohol and perhaps what God was doing in your life at the time and an encounter that you had with Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Um, As I became more successful and... uh, had a master's degree and won a prize at, at university and, and became successful in business, I really pushed God out. I'd grown up as a, an Anglican and went to Sunday school and taught Sunday school and all the usual blah, blah that most Australians did in those days. But as I became more successful, you know, God became irrelevant to me. Not my wife. My wife was, a, was actually a born-again Christian. She'd been born again and, and, and given a life to Christ in a Salvation Army church. So she prayed and she always dragged me off to church on a Sunday. But to me, it was just a, a place I went because my wife wanted me to. So when I got into, started getting into major pressure, I didn't reach out to God. And uh, you know, it, it just came to a point where um, uh, I, 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 I was just daily drinking that, you know, that, that, that bottle of gin. And uh, one of the strange things was that I didn't realize that God... I didn't understand, as a, in a way, with my background, that God really intervened in the day-to-day life of people. And it all blew apart for me when one, one morning I, uh, I drove my car, I had a nice Mercedes car in those days, and I was living in Townsville. And uh, run, I was not running the paper, but I was actually running a, my public relations business. And I had taken a bottle of gin out of the cupboard, and I, my thinking was I was going to stop and as which I often did on the side of the road under some trees and have a knock back a few slugs uh, and then go on to my office and this particular day something stirred my wife 
And she looked in the cupboard, she said, for some reason. In fact, we just discussed this this morning, and I said I'd be doing this. I don't think she's listening, by the way. <laughs> she doesn't want to be reminded. <laughs> yep. And she thought, uh-uh, that, that bottle's gone. And she said just straight away she felt this dreadful fear. And the way she puts it, she, she, she got in the car and it was like the car drove itself. She didn't know where she was going. She drove along the Strand in, in Townsville. Lo and behold, there's my Mercedes car parked in, under some trees. She pulled up next to me. And I can remember the story. I can take it up from here. I'm just about to take a nice big swallow of the bottle. And I sensed this presence next to me. I looked across and there's my wife in our other car looking at me with eyes this big, just devastated. You know, she suspected and she knew something wasn't right. She did not know that I would stop on the way to work and, and drink out of the bottle. That's, you, you, that, you were sprung. I was sprung big time. Mm-hmm. And, she, you know, there's no doubt God led her to where I was. She could have gone anywhere in Townsville. She went, drove right to where I was. And I knew then there's something going on here. Interesting your wife's connection with the Salvation Army because, you know, anyone who knows the Salvation Army knows that they're a little more teetotaler than some of the other Christian denominations. Did that have any effect on on your encounter with Christ, uh, having this background that your wife was a Salvation Army person? Well, well, I suppose it, it added to the guilt because Kay was never comfortable with my drinking. She went along with it. It's what everybody did. I mean, I mixed with drinking people. But she was never comfortable in the same way that, that, that I was. And uh, that night, after she, I got sprung, I went to AA. But, and, and I mm. thought, well, I mean, that was what I had to do. And that's what people did. But, you know, I was so anti-God then. I was so angry with the world that, remember, I, I, went, I, I got the AA big book. You know, this is the book with the 12 steps and everything in. Yep. And I went through that with a whiteout ink. Now, I whited out every reference to God or the higher power in the AA book before I could read it, which, when you think about it, is very funny. Mm. It is. <laughs> the Bible, 66 books, 40 authors. This afternoon on Vision, Dr. Chuck Missler will help you understand how it fits together and relates to your life. Join us. Uh, you might like to be part of our conversation, 1-800-316-316. Let's take some calls uh, and get some insights from listeners. Donna is in Albany in WA. Hello, Donna. Welcome along to 2020. Oh, hello. How are you? Very good, Donna. What are your thoughts on our conversation today? Well, I did a bit of research because um, I used to drink a tiny bit, not over the top, but God told me when my kids were teenagers to stop. And then I researched the Bible, and I found that, that to me, there was two sides to the argument. You know, there's one thing you don't drink, and the other side you do. But I went a bit deeper, and I found out there's 11 Hebrew words for alcohol, which is a bit, um, oh, what do you call it, misleading, because half of them just mean non-alcoholic, and the other half are alcoholic. And there's a few verses in the New Testament where there's an old word called temperance, which I had to look up in the dictionary. And in some um, cases, it's abstinence from alcohol, it actually means. And um, and there's two words they use in the New Testament for alcohol. So it's a bit deeper than... Um, Donna, it is good to do your own research when it comes to alcohol and the Christian. And I know, and I'll get John's perspective here, because, John, you've, uh, as you say, reading through the Bible 
uh, three times a year and these things stand out of the page when you know that you've been dealing with this as an issue, uh, really you can argue one way or the other, can't you, from the Scriptures? Yeah, I think Donna's right in, in, in looking into it and doing some research. I mean, there are well, one of the things I discovered in my research was that wine in the Bible, from everything that, that the research shows, is, was around 2 or 3%, which is not nearly as strong as wine today. And in fact, I read somewhere that it said that wine, our sort of wine we drink today, which is what, I don't know, 9, 10% maybe, mm. would be almost called strong drink in the Bible. And then they also then watered that down quite often. There's some other interesting scriptures. There was another one, the famous one, where Paul says to um, to Timothy, you know, take a little wine for your stomach. And if you look up the, the word there in wine, it's a very special kind of wine called stomach wine, which is a very thick syrupy wine that was actually developed very specifically for that. So when you go into it more deeply, as Don has done, and I think that's a very good thing to do, um, you know, it's interesting how the, some of these things come out. And interestingly, Donna, there are people who can tell you what they think, but really coming to the Scriptures and having a look for yourself, that's an important way of actually uh, coming to grips with this whole issue. Is that the case for you, Donna? Oh, yes. Um, I sort of want to know what God's view of what it all is. And um, he sh- I asked him where the Scriptures were, and he gave me, especially about the Hebrew word, um, there's 11 of them. You know, look them up for yourself. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> but, right. Um, the temperance, you know how they used to have temperance meetings in the 1800s, 1700s? Yep, well, the yep. temperance meaning, meaning was to do with not, you know, for the Salvation Army and those Methodists back in England to, yep. to help people get off the drink. And they used to have um, meetings about it and that, um, to help people with a problem back then. Mm. So it's not, a, it's not a new issue, and people have been dealing with this uh, for centuries, even millennia, but uh, the idea of actually helping people to come to grips with their understanding of alcohol, what's good and what's not good about it. Well, Donna from Albany, WA, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. Let's hear from Rosemary in Victoria. Hello, Rosemary. Welcome back to 2020. Oh, hi, Neil. Rosemary, what are your thoughts on our topic today? Well, um, in the New Testament, it talks about don't get drunk on wine, which leads to da 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 da, da. and then it says get but get drunk on the Holy Spirit, on God, on Jesus, not meaning drunk, but in a worldly sense, but meaning just turn to God instead of these other things, because these other things will destroy you and by turning to God, you have life and eternal life. Rosemary, those are great thoughts. Uh, let's hear from John. Uh, John, your thoughts on what Rosemary's sharing? I think I, I totally agree. Um, and it's something that creeps up on you. As I said, it's like Russian roulette. I mean, nine, ten people can have a drink and nine will be fine. For one person, it's potentially a, a problem. I mean, just going back to my story, uh, after I had the went to AA, um, that didn't solve my problems. And I, I had a very difficult period after that for nearly a year, on, off, drinking, etc. And then I eventually ended up in a, you know, put myself into a clinic and I, I fell into a, a depression and God was still out of the picture. Well, I, I'd had this experience with my wife, which I have to say scared the, my, my, my shoes off me. But 
I, I just in, in this hospital, I just fell into a deeper and deeper depression until uh, in ni- Easter 1982 on Easter Saturday night. I thought I'll end it all as I was going to commit suicide. And yet, you know, this is the insanity of it. I had a, a, a beautiful wife. I had four great kids. I had a very, I mean, I was probably the most successful PR consultant in Australia. I had won the Jupiter's Casino and all the you know, major, major um, things. And yet I just had total emptiness. And it was only in that context. And I, I, I remember thinking to myself, just sort of at midnight, and I thought, it wasn't like I prayed a, a, a you know an articulate salvation prayer like we hear about in churches today. <laughs> I knew nothing about that. I'd never heard of being born again. Yet I just said, you know, God, if you're real, you know, and basically I was going to kill myself. You know, I could see no way out of it. But if you're real, you know, maybe you can change things. And you know, in an instant, literally in that hospital room, I felt the reality of God's presence. I felt the depression left off me, and I I, I just had this. I describe it almost as like a hilarity. You know, it's like if you're on a, on a roller coaster, you don't know whether you're going to laugh or you're going to cry. It was like that. And suddenly I just knew everything had changed. And it had. And I didn't know I'd been born again, but that's when God came into my life. And from that time, you know, my life has been different. We don't always understand all of the effects of that encounter, but that initial encounter. Uh, that born-again experience uh, is a very powerful thing. And uh, sometimes uh, I feel like as Christians we can underrate uh, these, even these words being born again because there's tremendous meaning in those words because what we do is we separate the past uh, from where our future will be because now our future contains uh, the presence of the living God. And so we ought to expect that when we're going through challenges like alcoholism, mm. that with God in the picture, uh, my life is going to be different, and he's going to be the one who helps me through. I don't think I even knew it was God. I just suddenly realized something major had happened. I remember ringing Kay the next morning, and I, my wife, and I said to her, come and get me. You know, something happened last night, and I mean, she'd been watching me do some, <laughs> go through some pretty funny yeah. times, and she tried to hose that down and said, oh, look, you know, now you stay there for a bit longer. I said, no, no, no. It's, it's, you know, it's all, it's, everything's different. And it was. And, it was only, and the, I remember the very first, thing after I had that experience, I wanted to read the Bible. Now, as an Anglican, we had a prayer book and we had you know, the, day, the Sunday readings, but the Bible meant nothing to me. Yet, I just wanted, I just desperately needed to have the Bible. I remember kneeling beside that bed in the hospital and tears just, just running down my face as I realized something had changed. And when I got home, I said to Kay, have we got a Bible? She said, oh, we've got our old family one. And, and we had this little paperback living New Testament. And I started reading it. And I had the same feeling as I had the night before in the hospital. And I remember the tears ran and just sensed that, that, you know, everything had changed for me. Everything in a moment when I just opened myself up to God, not even knowing that I was doing what I was doing. I just knew that somehow I had to let God into my life and he changed everything. Filled with teaching, truths and the issues that matter. Bernie Diamonds, a different perspective. Part of Night Vision each weeknight. Details at vision.org.au Are sipping saints on a slippery slope? Our special guest is John Gagliardi, who has uh, an incredible career as founder of the Australian Christian Lobby, a former high-flying company director, former chief of staff at Channel 9 News in Brisbane. He was editor-in-chief at the Townsville Bulletin, 
uh, working for Rupert Murdoch in North Queensland, News Corporation, and, uh, of course, at one stage there in his uh, long career, a media advisor to former Prime Minister John Gorton. These days he is the Director of Development at the Haggai Institute Australia, raising up leaders around the world. We're talking about alcohol, and John has shared his own story, worn his heart on his sleeve. We're inviting you to be part of our conversation on 1-800-316-316, a sipping saints on a slippery slope, let's uh, let's continue to take some calls. Let's hear from Patricia in uh, rural New South Wales. Hello, Patricia. Welcome along to 2020. Hello. Patricia, what are your thoughts on our topic this hour? Look, I, I can't really add to what you said, but I, I just had the tiniest bit of experience. I, I really um, compliment you on um, all this conversation. But one of the things that I think about Christians, if I can just put it as blunt as, as possible, sure. um, look, you don't become a saint in a day and you you are young sometime or other and you learn things. You don't, you, we don't become like Christ in a day, you know. And so um, sometimes there's very inane and very sheltered and very silly um, people who think think they're Christians. They might even be Christians, the best you could have, but they they don't have enough life experience to minister very well to other people. And um, you know, I just think conversations like you're having at the present. So that there's a very... Um, we start to get a bit of context, uh, don't we, yeah. Patricia? It's what you're trying to say is that there's context and particularly uh, hearing from someone who's been there and done that. Yeah. Uh, and we hope yeah. that our leaders have some life experience before they start telling us how to live our own lives. Look, and you only have to have a mother or a father or grandmother or sister or anyone um, of someone who's been put in a vulnerable position, and if you if you have silly, I don't mean it rude, but if you have silly testimonies, they don't really minister to anyone, you know. And um, I look the thing I wanted to comment on. I, look, what, I don't know any more than um, your interviewer would know, probably a lot less. But I'll tell you a thing that I ran across some years ago. Um, one of the novels that Lloyd C. Douglas wrote is called The Robe, and um, it's a novel, but he had quite... Um, I think he, I haven't got The Robe in front of me. I've got one of his other books. But um, he was a minister in, I think, New York or one of those American uh, cities for some years, such as... 30 or 40 years before he took up writing novels. And his novels have very excellent stories just hidden in the novel, sometimes very plainly. And in The Robe, the hero of the novel is the person who, um, when you think of Jesus on the cross, there was one of the centurions who had to stab him in the side to prove he was dead, if mm. you can remember that story. Yep. And in 
in the novel. I don't know if it's him, but I certainly it's someone in the battalion that he belonged to. There's just the comment that some tasks that people have to do, and we're talking soldiers at war, or we, we probably could be talking lots of other things, um, they're, they're not easy tasks. And sometimes soldiers or other people got drunk to perform the tasks. Now, this is not an easy thing, but it's something to bear in mind, and mm. uh, this is only in a novel. Patricia, I think we can get to the point where we can be very quick to judge, but uh, people drink for all sorts of reasons. And uh, when you're talking about some of the depth there of people doing things, uh, even inhumane things that they wouldn't ordinarily do and being able to cope uh, with the circumstances they find themselves in, uh, that is a a very tough circumstance to be in. Uh, Patricia, I want to thank you so much for your input today here on 2020. Uh, We are taking calls 1-800-316-316. John Gagliardi is our guest. Uh, John, there were some interesting things that we were hearing there from Patricia. Uh, We are often too quick to judge, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. And having told my story... uh, and I, I got into trouble with alcohol. I mean, today I don't drink. I have not drunk for 30-something years. But I'm not a wowser. You know, I don't disapprove. And I know lot, You know, the vast majority of people drink sensibly. They'll have a glass of wine. And I can't you know, argue with that. I mean, the Bible says to give strong drink. I think what, what uh, she was talking about, where there was a scripture that says to give strong drink to him that is perishing. So even the Bible says, you know, there are times where alcohol can be something to be used. But it's that that Russian roulette thing where you know the one in ten or the one in whatever number of, of people isn't going to just become a nice sociable drinker, but somebody who basically could destroy their life, their family, and 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 everybody around them. And uh, you know, m- m- looking at the whole thing, and and based on that article that I wrote back in two thousand and five, which is the the title that you're using, the, the Sipping mm-hmm. Saints. What I conclude in that is that where I don't see that drinking wine can possibly be defined as a sin scripturally, um, there's a difference between what we can do and what we should do. Paul says, I can do all things, but not everything edifies. Sure, we can all drink and we can drink and we can do anything really, but does it edify? And I think that the key thing, and, and Paul talks about this, he won't do anything, eat or drink, if it puts a stumbling stone in front of a brother. And, you know, when I first came into Christianity and I first joined a, a, a charismatic church, in those days, drinking was very much something that was not done. I remember even the AOG in the early days, you had to sign a pledge. Mm. Yep. Um, now, if I'd come into a church and, and it was full of drinking people, it may have been a problem for me. But as it was, I think it, it was very good for me that, that, that that's not the case. But the, I think the caution I've got, though, is leaders. There's an old saying that, you know, the, when, when, when the, the shepherd walks, the sheep run. Or what the parents do, the children will do to excess. And I'm concerned that some leaders, and I've seen this, and I, I, I won't mention names, obviously, but who not just allow but almost promote and model a drinking lifestyle. Now, as mature people, that's fine. I can't complain if they're going to drink privately. But if they're going to make a, an issue of it and really almost promote it, what happens to the, the, the followers, the flock? You know, if, if the leader um, has a few glasses of wine, 
and doesn't create a problem, what do the, the, the kids do, the teenagers? They're off in clubs and they're getting drunk. And that's, that's my concern, that, that you have to not put a stumbling block in front of, uh, in front of others. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to be part of our conversation, are sipping saints on a slippery slope. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Ben in Springvale in Victoria. Hello, Ben. Welcome along to 2020. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, I admire John you know, to come out and to with this topic and witness himself, you know. Uh, I really admire it. I've been listening to it in the car. Just don't tell uh, anybody else. It's just between us, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm had, uh, I grew up in a country where there was total prohibition, the state where I lived in, uh, till I was about 30, 35 years old. So uh, I, I thank God now when I look back that as, as youngsters and teenagers, we were not having access to drinks because if we got caught buying it in the black market or something, we were locked up. Uh, so that fear was there. And another thing is um, uh, whenever I drank, uh, I've done, I haven't drank, drank for, uh, I'm 76 now and maybe I, I gave up about 35 or 30. But, uh, but when I drank, I felt sick the next day and I said, why will people spend money and, and on this booze and uh, be sick, you know, uh, that, that uh, I couldn't try, try, I stopped, I didn't drink. My father was a casual drinker once in a way. When we were kids for Christmas, he'll uh, bring a bottle from the military and uh, we were 11, nine children and mom and dad, they'll, they'll have little glasses on the table and each one a little bit. And when we drank it, I, I felt terrible. And I said, why would people... You know, that I think stuck in my mind, that taste of the drink, which was tasted horrible when we were like kids, you know. Uh, but uh, having said all this, uh, we have, I have parties nowadays. Uh, my nieces and nephews, and I'm the oldest, I suppose, in the group. And I keep wondering how am I to tell them we can have a party, we can have a get-together. We don't need alcohol. You know, I guess it comes down to the way you say that, Ben. And let's get some thoughts from John. Uh, John, the way you do communicate, when you say, uh, I don't drink anymore, but I'm not a wowser, uh, the way you communicate that when you're in your social setting is going to be important. Yeah, I, I think it, it's how you model and how you live your life. And, um, and I'm very, very open to, to tell my story. Um, I think I mentioned, we mentioned off air that <clears throat> for, for a number of years, when I first became a Christian, I became very popular as a speaker in full gospel and you know, church business groups and things because I had a fairly lurid testimony. And uh, the interesting thing was that, that as time went on, I, I talked less and less about the alcohol part, although that was very much part of my whole born-again experience. But as I became more successful, it probably wasn't um, as, as nice to talk about that. You know, I found other things to talk about. But progressively I found that, that, that every so often – I'd get kind of led into a situation where I, I felt compelled to, to talk, tell my, my drinking story. And time and again, when I did that, and I'm thinking to myself, why am I doing this? You know, I'm trying to impress all these business people with, you know, <laughs> what a successful person I am and do this and do that and blah, blah. But, you know, somehow I'm talking about my drinking story. You know, almost every time somebody would come up afterwards and say, that's me. You know, the truth is, you can, I've met so many alcoholics 
just like I was, very successful, well-dressed, functioning, but alcohol ruled their life. Remember once I, I spoke at a, I went and spoke at a, 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 break, a men's breakfast, I think it was, in North Queensland when I lived in Townsville. And, uh, I mean, to get up and drive 100 miles to this other city um, was a pain and I, I tried to find 15 reasons why I shouldn't go and yet somehow I felt I should go and I'm telling myself, look, there's only going to be 10 people there and it's, you know, they're not going to miss me. Anyway, I went and it wasn't 10 people, it was about 150 people and it was, a, it was quite a big event. And the interesting thing was I had at that event uh, that, that compulsion to talk about the, the drinking story and at the end of it, the Shire chairman who was there as a VIP came up to me and he said, ah, that's me, that's my story. He said, I, I, he said, you know, nobody knows. He said, I can share with you. And, you know, I, I, I just talked with him. Eventually I led him to the Lord. I thought, wow, you know, God can even use booze. <laughs> that's right. It's an opportunity to share your own story, share your own faith. And uh, you don't have to be in the drinking culture for that to happen. In fact, when you say, I'm not in that drinking culture anymore, that actually probably opens up more of an opportunity. Would you say that, John? Well, absolutely. Um, You know, I've I've been around the the, the Christian scene, if you want to call it that, for 35-odd years. And I've seen the change dramatically from, especially in the sort of Pentecostal charismatic area that that I've come into. I mean, obviously, in the traditional um, faiths, Drinking's never been an issue, but um, most of the early charismatic denominations were quite anti-alcohol. But that's changed over the years now, and you know the major charismatic uh, groups now are all very open to drinking, and um, so it becomes an issue. Uh, you know it, it, that slippery slope thing is the thing that I that concerns me. We open the door to that if we say that moderate drinking's okay, and we we start to model that. I really don't see logically how we can then say. Using scripture, say, how is smoking? Or if, even if marijuana is legal, how can you then say you can't do that? That's the slippery slope I'm talking about. Once you open the door to a certain degree of liberty, um, it's very difficult where you draw the line then. And that's where the kids come in and they say, well, if we can drink, we can do that, and we can do that. We all need a shot of encouragement to keep us going. A new beginning with Greg Laurie is sure to help in your journey of faith. Here at Twice Daily. Details at vision.org.au. It's Neil with you, 2020, and taking calls, talking through the issue, are sipping saints on a slippery slope. John Gagliardi, our guest, and we've been hearing about his high-profile career and the challenge that he had with alcohol in his earlier years. A major encounter with Jesus Christ and helpful in his overcoming of alcohol. Uh, not a lot of time for a lot of calls, and we'll take some calls, but we'll need to be fairly quick with these. Let's hear from John in Albury in New South Wales. Hello, John. Welcome along to 2020. Are you with us, John? John's not with us. Let's try Anne on the Gold Coast. Hello, Anne. Oh. Welcome along. Yes. Nice to meet you. Nice to hear from you. And we'll uh, be uh, need to be fairly quick. Oh yeah, um, I reckon that we shouldn't. As a Christian, you shouldn't, because God has just uh, uh, made it that in the Scripture. Because sometimes that leads to drunkenness. Um, also, I think the fact is that that um, in Jesus's day there wasn't anything else. The water wasn't probably pure, and so that's why they might have had to use the alcohol as a drink in those days. But here now, where we are, we can have other things to drink. 
And so I don't think alcohol should be used in, in our in our relationship with Jesus. And some fabulous points there, and one I'll raise with John, which adds to what you are saying there, Anne, is this issue of uh, mass advertising, which they didn't have in the first century. And so from the point of view of this sort of popularity that takes over and creates a binge-drinking culture amongst young people, that wasn't there, but it is there today, and you have to approach it differently. I mean, in some of the research I did, and this is in America, but it wouldn't be much different in Australia. The average person has seen 75,000 alcohol advertisements before turning 18. Now, that's an immense amount of of influence. And as you say, that was not there in the biblical days. And, of course, the other thing is that I think wine was 2 or 3% alcohol. Um, You'd have to drink a lot to get drunk, whereas today I think wine is stronger. And, of course, we have so many other forms of, of alcoholic drink. And there is a sense, isn't there, that as uh, parents you need to be very considerate of the example you're setting because it's the culture that's working against you. And I suppose as a parent today you've actually got to be countercultural uh, to those things uh, as you are as a parent because the influence on your children and on your teenagers is much, much, much bigger than it ever was in biblical times. Well, alcohol still remains by, by far the worst drug, we, the, the dramatic uh, things we hear about ice and everything else, but you know, every I think four out of every ten violent crimes are involving alcohol. I remember at one stage I used to go to a jail in in Townsville and 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 um, work with with criminal with you know, people in jail. The vast majority had no recollection of their crime. They were drunk when they committed it. They didn't deny doing it. And you know, I think eight out of ten suicides have alcohol involved. I mean, you look at any of these dreadful statistics: hospital beds early deaths, suicides. Alcohol can be a very consistent theme. That's not to say alcohol is a sin. Drinking alcohol is a sin for most people. But for people where alcohol becomes an addiction, which is where I was in my life, it, it, you know, it just leads to so much destruction and so much heartache. Thanks to Anne on the Gold Coast for your input today here on 2020. If we were, and we were talking a little earlier, John, saying that by the end of our conversation, perhaps there'll be something of a platform to be able to build uh, some change into if you're listening into our conversation today. And uh, there is a sense, isn't there, uh, in which you can't say that drinking alcohol is a sin. But as we did say, uh, you know, uh, a lot of things uh, might be allowable or permissible, but Mm. not everything is profitable. Not everything is going to do you good. Uh, How do you, you know, in just this last uh, 90 seconds or so, uh, how do you sort of say, well, this is the way I think people ought to respond to this challenge of alcohol? I I just think it's a matter of prayer. I mean, I I would not sit here today and say to, to, to listeners, you are not allowed to drink scripturally, because I know the Bible doesn't say that. But in my life, I've seen so many lives blighted and so many young people, so many young lives snuffed out as a journalist and in other, you know, other areas of my life that I've seen very little good come out of, out of heavy drinking. And, you know, we, we all can make a choice. Life is full of choices, but there are consequences to our choices. And we should think that through and prayerfully. And if we choose to drink, at least don't do it in such a way that we use it as a way to promote to young people. Um, you know, if you're a leader listening now, and, and you, 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 there's no reason why you shouldn't have a glass of wine, but don't do it publicly. Don't promote it. Don't make it sound like this is the preferred thing because the kids will listen. And as I said, what the, when the shepherds walk, 
the sheep run and they run madly. <laughs> I think if I was summing up uh, your heartbeat through the hour, it's that we aren't going to be making, uh, you know, definitive reasons why or why not. But there is a maturity that comes, and sometimes that's with years and with hearing the stories of others, uh, where we can actually decide that's not a great way to go. John Gagliardi, thanks so much for joining us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's been a great pleasure. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts, or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.